Oh, my friends, we are starting a new series. This series is called Love in Action. It's going to take us right through Christmas. And it comes from the message translation of that moment of incarnation where it says that um, God moved into the neighborhood. That's, that's that moment that Jesus came into the world, which is what we're going to celebrate at Christmas. And so that was an action. That was God's love in action. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about how we as disciples of Christ can be love in action to those around us. And this is a good week to be talking about that because we're going to have people around us this week as we get ready to go into Thanksgiving, which, um, depending on how you look at it, is a good thing or a really, really stressful, awful, bad thing. And I, I want it to be a good thing. I want it to be a, a life-giving thing. And Proverbs is going to give us the wisdom to make that possible. So would you pray with me, and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. We pray that you help us to do something good with it. Amen. So following the 2016 presidential election... PBS decided to air a very helpful segment, anticipating that Thanksgiving might be a little rocky for Americans that year. They decided that it would be good to do a segment on how to have good, positive Thanksgiving conversations. One of the people that they interviewed is a columnist named David Brooks. David writes for the New York Times. And Brooks, with a deadpan look at the camera, says, I recommend not talking about politics right away, but having some earlier rounds of, of conversation. So the first subject, I think, could be things that I've always resented about you. <laughs> and, and, then he said, and then he said, after that, the next subject could be Ways in which you have wounded me from which I will never recover. And then by the time that you get to politics, it will actually seem pretty good to everybody. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not suggest or endorse going with Brooks' plan this, this Thanksgiving. Um, I don't think that will lessen the blow of, of that Thanksgiving dinner table conversation. But the scripture that we read this morning provides us much, much more solid wisdom. Here in Proverbs 9, we're looking at two competing invitations. The first invitation is from wisdom. And the second invitation, we did not read this morning, but I would invite you to go back and, and take a look at this in Proverbs 9, is an invitation from folly. Both of them are personified here as women inviting you to come into their homes. So the first thing that we need to consider as, as we approach Thanksgiving this week is which invitations we are going to accept. In all of our lives, we, we encounter people who bring out the best in us and those who have perfected the art of bringing out the absolute worst in us. And sometimes those people are family members. They are. And many of us reach a point where we can, we can identify the distinction between those who bring out the best and those who bring out the worst, and then so to attend Thanksgiving dinner with them 
really becomes a matter of choice. Either way, Scripture offers us guidance as how we're going to best approach this situation, particularly if you are inclined to go and have dinner with someone that you just know is going to get your goat. The first invitation we received this morning is from Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals, mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her servant girl. She calls from the high places in town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed, lay aside immaturity, and live. Walk in the way of insight. So the first thing we notice is that the house of wisdom is built with seven pillars. And there's many different interpretations as to what these seven pillars are. But there is one observation that is consistent across all of the views that have repeatedly discovered, that archaeologists have repeatedly discovered that homes with seven pillars are indicative of very wealthy families. So to enter into a house of wisdom is a choice that, that yields rich results. Wisdom has prepared meat and wine for the meal. There is effort that has been put into this, and that's important because later on, that, con that contrasts with folly. Folly's invitation leads you to a house of bread and water, nothing more. So when you're talking about wisdom, wisdom takes time and effort, and there is preparation involved. You've probably had the two contrasting experiences of Thanksgiving over the years. The one where Thanksgiving is an all-day process, and so much effort and so much energy is put into it. And then you have the one where um, it's just thrown together, or we give up and we're going to Denny's for, for Thanksgiving. Um, there, is some, there is a lot of wisdom that goes into Thanksgiving, Pastor Sung caught on to it a lot earlier than I did in our marriage. Thanksgiving was always great, and then we had kids. And, um, <laughs> and, and amazingly, once we had kids, Pastor Sung's like, you know what, I will do all of the cooking for Thanksgiving. And, and here's me, foolish. I'm like, that's a great idea. That is awesome. You do all the cooking for Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking, blessed am I among women. My husband's going to do all the cooking for Thanksgiving. Do you know why? Do you know why he wants to do all the cooking for Thanksgiving? Because if he's in the kitchen, he doesn't have to watch the kids all day long. Right? So, see, there's some wisdom that goes into that preparation for, for Thanksgiving. Wisdom in Proverbs has prepared has put effort, has invested resources in what is going to happen. And she sends out these invitations. First, she sends out her servant girl to tell everybody, you are welcomed into my home. And then she stands on top of the highest point in the town, and, and she extends again the open invitation to sit at her table. And that should remind you a little bit of the, of the parable of the great banquet in the New Testament where the master lays out the feast and he invites all the important people in town to come and the important people are, are too busy. They can't be bothered with this. So he invites everyone along the highways and the byways to come in and eat. The invitation to the house of wisdom is an open one and it's available to all of us. Every time that you open up the scripture, you open your Bible, I want you to picture it as your hand reaching for the doorknob 
to the house of wisdom. And we, when we are guided by wisdom, it changes the conversations that, that we have. This proverb here outlines a bunch of maxims, things, little things that you can take with you this very week into your Thanksgiving meals that could really change how we go about Thanksgiving. They're advice for you as you gather around the table. First, whoever corrects a scoffer wins abuse. Whoever rebukes the wicked gets hurt. I consider this to be the cable news network maxim. With a few notable exceptions, this is essentially what happens to every Republican who goes on CNN or every Democrat who goes on Fox News. You went in looking for a fight. And sometimes when we are our lesser selves, we pick topics that we just know, we know are going to inspire ire and create problems for those around us. And we can justify it any way that we want. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we're just looking for a fight. And that fight doesn't have to be a political one either. At Thanksgiving, people fight about all kinds of things, things that are as non-political as, as recipes. So here's how the first part of verse 7 plays out over the mashed potatoes. Bob says, Jill, these mashed potatoes are delicious. I know that mom's recipe has always called for time, but I'm glad that after all of these years of me telling you that they'd be better with rosemary, you finally did it for everybody at the table. And Jill responds, of course, you idiot, it is time, and it will be a cold day in Hades before I destroy our beloved mother's recipe with your ridiculous idea. And so Bob, in, in the peak of maturity, stands up and dumps the potatoes all over the table. Right? And you're laughing, but you've probably seen this exact thing play out. So if you're going to pick a fight, Scripture says... Be ready to take some abuse. And if you decide that you're going to rebuke a sinner, particularly at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you need to be prepared to get hurt. And the way that this, this is translated in the scripture here is hurt like, like kicked in the shins if this is how you're going to decide to rebuke a sinner. This can be much easier than it sounds. The dinner table might not be the best place for you to casually address Uncle Ron's infidelity or Cousin Michael's alcoholism, or your sister's latest pyramid scheme. It, it's, not, it's not that we shouldn't, we shouldn't hold one another accountable in our sins, but the problem is that sin by its very nature is ugly and dangerous. So it should not come as a surprise to you that if you choose to address it over a beautiful meal, there is a good chance you're going to get kicked in the shins under the table. You need to be prepared for that. So therefore, we need to approach our sin in a way where our words can be heard. And there has never been a re repentant sinner who has come to their repentance as a result of being humiliated in front of the rest of the entire family at Thanksgiving. So don't do that. Don't do that. In the same vein, it says, a scoffer who is rebuked will only hate you. The wise, when rebuked, will love you. We have to understand that there are going to be some people who are not going to agree with us on anything, and they're not going to change. 
This is how some of these political fights get out of hand. They're just some people who even in the face of reason and fact, in fact, are going to disagree with you on principle even if reality for them is totally warped. So you really have to ask yourself before you start down the conversational road that you know is going to lead to chaos, is this really worth it? Is there really going to be an avenue here where I'm going to be able to reflect God's grace and God's love? And, and usually something along the lines of, you're an idiot, but I love you anyway, is not your best option for giving life to a conversation. Likewise, you want to give it some serious thought before you say something to your sister-in-law like, so, are you planning on eating all of the sweet potatoes today, or do you think you could leave a spoonful or two for the rest of us? Right? We come up with, we come up with really nice ways of saying really mean things to people, and for some reason at Thanksgiving, we, we are exceptional at it. But then you also have, Scripture says, the wise, who when they are rebuked will love you. And this is, this is a different type of relationship. Now we're talking about people who are grounded in the word. And they're trying their very best to follow Jesus. And like all of us on, on occasion, may have gotten a little bit off track. And here's how that conversation looks different. Dad, perhaps you don't need another glass of wine tonight. Right? Do you see how that, that conversation is a little bit different? Chances are that truly wise people know the distinction between scoffers and other wise people. To that end, Scripture says, Give instruction to the wise and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will gain in their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wise people seek wise counsel. They never stop learning. This is what we have talked about over these last couple months with discipleship. It's a journey. It's a process. And you surround yourself with people that are going to help you move forward in positive ways. So if you're somebody who's been working on your personal discipleship and you're maturing in your faith, the Thanksgiving table can be a really excellent place to gain some wisdom for your walk. Instead of being the first to speak, perhaps you'll observe and you'll listen and you'll give yourself some opportunity to discern who are the people around the table that you want to learn from and that you want to gain some wisdom from. In my sophomore year of college, there was a whole bunch of us that couldn't afford to go home for Thanksgiving. And one of my friends, whose dad was some really big deal business executive from New York City, invited all of us to go out to dinner with them. And I, I was really looking forward to it because I grew up, of course, with my dad's Italian family, very loud family, and this, my friend was Italian, her dad was Italian. I, I figured this was going to be just like home. But it was so far from home that I might as well have been on a totally different planet. About 10 of us went out, we got to the restaurant, and immediately I realized that this was a huge mistake. And while I so appreciated his generosity, it came with all kinds of strings, mostly listening to story after story about how rich he was and how amazing his life in New York City was and how Southerners are just a bunch of dumb folks that should be just wiped off the map and how he was so important, how he knew the mayor, and on and on and on. And then he brings out 
bottles upon bottles of wine, which of course is the prerogative of anyone except that for the other nine people seated around the table, we were all under 21. So there are two of us at the table who, who realize what is happening. And rather than engage everyone, because sometimes the temptation is to go a little self-righteous. Excuse me, are you aware? We're 21. We're not 21. He's not 21. She's not 21. You're terrible. You're a terrible person. You're a sinner. And quite frankly, you're arrogant. I mean, can you just imagine how this conversation could have gone? But that's not how it went, because we sat there quietly, we went about our meal, we opted for the water over the wine, not correcting gross inaccuracies about Southerners and all kinds of other so-called facts. And honestly, I would love to tell you that, that my response was rooted in holiness or, or righteousness, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was simply about fear of getting in trouble for doing something that was so overtly wrong and also knowing that I was going to be driving everybody home because my father would kill me for getting into a car with a drunk driver. So there was nothing righteous about my behavior that night. But a few days after the gathering, I ran into the other student who had refrained also from all of the antics. And we got to talking and she shared her faith with me, a faith that, that really had grounded her heart that night and kept her from getting into an explosive fight with my friend's dad. And although I was already a believer, she helped me to, to grow in my own faith, not through preaching or proselytizing or, or some grandiose speech at the Thanksgiving table, but by helping me process what it looks like to be a disciple day after day to, to go about your faith in a way that honors God and gives gentle and winsome witness to the world that lives often in sin. When we grow into our faith with, with some modicum of maturity, we come to the realization that what God really wants for us, God's real desire for us is to have full and abundant lives. Proverbs says, For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. I want you to really think about that in relationship to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, at its heart, is, is a day to give thanks for all of the blessings, for the provision of God, for the fullness of life that God wants for us. For our days to be multiplied and years added. When we go into Thanksgiving armed for bear over things like politics, religion, mashed potato, recipes, tradition, our politics, our politics bring up in us a self-righteousness. And sometimes that self-righteousness can lead to really bad table manners. And when that happens, we don't multiply and add, we simply divide and subtract, and we take away from the value that is that special day. So there is wisdom in approaching the table, whatever table you're going to be sitting around, whether that's friends or family, approaching that table with grace. You will be blessed because of it, because if you decide to scoff and bicker and judge and drag up the past and announce the sins of others, you will bear that. And you will be responsible for that all on your own. So this Thanksgiving, regardless of which table you sit at and who is sitting there with you, choose, choose to enter into the house of wisdom. 
Seek out God's leading in all of your conversations. Listen for the Spirit to prompt you to share. And also, when the Spirit prompts you to just sit there and be quiet. Decide. Decide ahead of time how you can bring life along with your side dish long before you sit down at the table. The wisdom of faith is rich and robust and inviting and to embrace it will help you instill the kind of table manners that bring joy and love and peace to all kinds of tables. But to ignore wisdom is to walk right next door into that door of folly. And as anyone who has ever survived a politically charged, grudge-infested, judgmental thanksgiving will tell you, that is a foolish decision. Let's pray together. Lord God, help us now to each think about the tables that we will gather around on Thursday. Help us to think about the family and friends who will be there. Help us to consider those ways that we might bring life, that we can testify to the truth in gentle, winsome, kind ways. Lord, if it's possible that we are not able to say anything, help us just by our presence to bring glory and honor to you. Forgive us when we choose folly, for we know that it creates chaos. Help us to have good table manners. In your name we pray. Amen.